All right. Hello, Christ community. Uh, So glad all of you are here. Greetings to our 15th Street campus and our West campus and our traditions venue, as well as those who may be watching online. Uh, Before we jump into the message, I I wanted to give a quick financial update. Um, Many of you know that um, this past fall, we were significantly behind in our ministry fund budget. And I wanted to let you know, because of the generosity of a number of Christ community people at year end, that shortfall has decreased significantly. So we are praising God for that. Seriously, I am so amazed and in awe of what God did. We, we still haven't closed the gap entirely, but thank you. Thank you for your willingness to give generously to the ongoing vision of this church. So many stories, so many people's stories are being changed because of your generosity. And I'm also thrilled to report that our just our giving towards our For the City and Beyond um, campaign, that just hit the $1.5 million mark, which means, uh, which is really cool, yes, uh, which uh, that's a significant point because that means that we can proceed with putting in some of the necessary infrastructure into the 35 acres on the West proper. Now, obviously, this is still contingent upon warmer weather um, and upon necessary approval from the city. So we're hoping that by late spring, early summer, sewer lines will be going in. Amen for sewer lines, okay? Um, But all kidding aside, they are kind of important. Uh, So thank you, Christ community, for your amazing amazing generosity. I love you guys. Um, I love the vision that God is calling us together to pursue. And I'm so grateful, so grateful for all of your investment in that. Okay, so here we are in mid-January. Can we all just admit this is a yucky time of year, right? I mean, Christmas is, vacation is over. We're back to school or back to work. My college kids are gone again. I miss having them home. It's cold. The days are short. College football season is over. I mean, January is tough. I can feel it emotionally taking its toll. You know, I miss my my golf therapy sessions, okay? I mean, it it is a tough time of year, but it's where we're at, right? It's where we're at, and so we kind of have to make the best of it. And one one of the ways to do that is to leverage the month of January. It is to use the beginning of a new year as an opportunity to think about the trajectory of our lives. Do we like where our lives are headed? Are there areas in our lives in which we would honestly like to see some change happen? Our anger to be more controlled and less destructive. Our relationships to be healthier, our character to be stronger, our addictions to be weaker. I mean, what kind of changes would we like to see happen? And what would it look like for us to begin making those changes? See, those are great questions to be asking during the month of January. And those are questions that we've been looking at this week and last week. They, They are questions that Jesus addresses in a very powerful way in Luke chapter six. So if you have your Bible or Bible app or whatever, I encourage you to turn there. Last week, we started a new teaching series that we're calling In Plain Text. And in this series, we're jumping back into the book of Luke, looking afresh at what Jesus said and did. We want to see Jesus in plain text. We, we, we believe that the Bible, the Word of God, is incredibly powerful and life-changing. And sometimes I think we take 
the Bible for granted. We, we take the Bible for granted. This Bible that we possess, we, we forget that it is actually God's word to us. And he wants to speak to us and he wants to impact our lives through his word. So maybe some of you here have never, ever really read the word of God for yourself. Maybe some of you have kind of gotten out of the habit of regularly spending time in God's word. This would be a great time to get back into that routine or to start a routine like that. You can focus on the book of Luke. Um, you can focus on any part, but you can focus on the book of Luke. Spend time in this amazing book. Let God speak to you through this book. Now, some of you may be thinking, I don't know how to do that. When I try to read the Bible for myself, I don't get anything out of it. Well, let me take a quick minute and share a simple way to, to interact with Scripture. It's based on an acronym. The acronym is SOAP, S-O-A. P. So we put a little uh, diagram on the screen here. <clears throat> this is how you can interact with God's word. SOAP, S stands for spirit. So as you begin, just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. The O stands for observation. So you're reading the text a couple times, read the text and just observe what the authors say. And the primary question here is, what does this passage mean? What is it saying? What's the main point? The A stands for application. So once we've determined what this text means, what the author is saying, we can then ask God, what are you saying to me? God, how do you want me to apply this? What are you saying to me? How do you want me to apply this to my life? And, and it may be helpful to have a journal that we keep with us just to write down what we feel like the Lord is saying to us. And then the final step, P stands for prayer. Just pray and ask God to do this in your life to help you live according to this Truth. So we've put that diagram that was on the screen. We've put that um, on our website with more detail of the, what the soap means and all that. And so we encourage you to, to go to the in plain text, just the sermon series in plain text, and you'll see it there. Now, we've actually started to use this basic format in our e-groups, um, study guide questions, because we want our e-groups to dig into the Word together. And so I encourage you e-groups out there to study the book of Luke together in this season. Study it together. Our study guides will help you do that. And I'm just excited about what God is going to do, how he's going to use his Word to impact our lives in a real way. Okay, so, so last week, we looked at verses 43 to 40. 45, where Jesus reveals the critical foundation for change to happen in our lives. And that foundation is the heart. Often we try to, we, we look at something we want to change in our life and we try to change our behavior externally by making promises and setting goals and new year's resolutions, you know, changing through willpower, which doesn't work. Trying harder doesn't work. What does work is to engage the heart. The heart is the core of our being. It's the location of our desires and our loves and our values and our, our true beliefs. And so last week, we talked about how to engage our hearts so that real, lasting change can begin to happen in our lives. If you missed that message last week, I strongly encourage you, get on our app, get on our website, and listen to that message. It is so foundational for this whole topic of how change happens in our lives. 
Now, I know that many of us um, fasted for a portion of this past week to seek God afresh about our own hearts. And that is just, that was a great way to begin the new year, just by seeking God in that way. Okay, well now in verse 46, Jesus shifts gears a bit. Still talking about change, but he's asking a very profound question that has huge ramifications for our experience of transformation in our lives. This is one of those amazing Amazing, clarifying questions that Jesus was so good at asking. His questions have a way of cutting through the fog and the clutter of our lives, and they bring clarity to the core issue. And so imagine Jesus is standing here in the flesh, and he's, he's standing before us, and he asks us this question that's found in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord Lord, and do not do what I say. This one question can change the trajectory of our lives. Why do you call me Lord and do not do what I say? See, the issue that Jesus is highlighting here is a lordship issue. The only way to be transformed by Jesus is to surrender to Jesus. The only way to be transformed by Jesus is to surrender to Jesus. This term Lord is very significant. It doesn't mean peer. It doesn't mean consultant. It doesn't mean advisor. You see, in all of those relationships, we can choose to ignore whatever this person is saying to us. The term Lord means master, owner. See, the only appropriate response to someone who is Lord is surrender. It is voluntary, voluntarily submitting to their authority. That's what Jesus is asking for from us. That's what Jesus deserves from us, an absolute surrender to him. He is Lord. Now, what's fascinating to me is that Jesus says these words here during his first major public teaching. This passage we're looking at is in the midst of a significant teaching that Jesus gives. Notice the Sermon on the Mount. And, and, and this passage we're looking at here is the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's his first major teaching, public teaching. And we, we learn in Luke 6, earlier in Luke 6, we learn that a lot of people have gathered to see Jesus and to hear him from all over this region. People are coming from coastal regions. They are coming from all over to see Jesus. This is an amazing opportunity for Jesus to impress people, right? To try and get them interested in following him. It, it, you know, sort of a pep rally, a political stump speech, a sales job. But that's not what Jesus does. That's not what Jesus is interested in. He is not interested in gathering a crowd of fans. He's interested in something else entirely, which is, which is why in this message he is not pulling any punches here. No, no, Jesus is, is just laying it out up front. You want to be my follower? You, you, you want to be associated with me and be impacted by my power and in and, and your life? Great. Here's how. Surrender to me as Lord. Surrender to me as Lord. Let me be the one who calls the shots in your life. Let me be the one who determines the path you take and the choices that you make. See, to Jesus, I mean, to Jesus, this is sort of, this is sort of a no-brainer. If you say you want to follow me, then follow me. It's pretty simple, right? To him, it's pretty simple. Okay, obey me. Do what I ask. I mean, why do you say you, say you follow me, but you don't follow me? 
It, it, it makes no sense to be a follower of someone that we don't follow. And yet in our culture, that is exactly the Christianity that so many people are choosing to embrace. See, rather than being followers of Jesus, we become Facebook followers of Jesus, okay? You know, we, we officially like his page, right? We like his product. You know, he's prominent on our list of interests and hobbies and all that stuff. So yes, he is a part of our life, but that's the problem. He is a part of our life when convenient, but he's not really Lord of our life. When faced with a decision about whether or not we should move in with our boyfriend, do we stop and ask Jesus what he wants us to do? When public opinion strongly sways in one direction, do we stop and ask Jesus if that's the direction he wants us to go or the belief that he wants us, to, the thing that he wants us to believe? When considering a new car purchase, do we stop and ask the Lord, Jesus, is this what you want me to do? When someone hurts us and we are planning our revenge, do we stop and ask the Lord, Jesus, how do you want me to respond to this person? Why do you call me Lord and do not do what I say? A few, a few months ago, we had a guest speaker here. Some of, many of you were here um, on a more, more weekend. We had Bob Sorge here. And um, if, you, if you didn't hear that message, I encourage you to check it out on our app or our webpage. He was here on October 16th, I believe. But in that, that weekend, in that message, Bob talked about how we can grow in, um, in listening to the Spirit. And, and he got really practical. He talked about how for years in his own life, when he is faced with a decision... When he's faced with a specific decision, he quiets his heart before the Lord. He quiets his heart, and then he asks the Lord a yes or no question about that decision. Lord, is this something you want me to do? And then he just listens with his spirit to sense which way his spirit is leaning. Yes or no. And then he trusts God, whatever he's sensing, he trusts God that God is leading him in, in, in his leaning there. So I was listening, as I was listening to, it, to Bob's message, I, I realized, you know, I've, I've never practiced something kind of that practical with decision-making. And so I was excited to try this, right? So first time I had this decision to make, I'm, I'm sitting there and I said, okay, I'm gonna do this. I immediately, right as I'm doing this, I'm calming my heart, I start to feel nervous and very uncomfortable. And so I began to kind of unpack that. Why does asking the Lord a yes or no question bother me? And I realized what it was. I didn't like the idea of surrendering decisions like that to him. I preferred to be the one in control. Oh, sure, I'll pray about it. But ultimately, I want it to be my call. See, I don't want a decision from him. I'd prefer an opinion from him. So right then, I was confronted with the reality in my own life, I often don't want Jesus to be Lord. I don't want Jesus to be my Lord. I don't want him to have the final say in whether or not I have to say yes to this speaking engagement or whether or not I purchased whatever or yes, yes or no to this particular sin that I want to participate in for a few moments or whatever. In, 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 in these day-to-day -day decisions, I'm okay with him being my consultant Maybe my advisor, but not my Lord. Not my Lord. And I realized, man, it is a struggle. 
it's a struggle for me to fully surrender to Jesus as Lord. Can any of you relate to this? Admitting the struggle is a huge step in facing this issue. This is a constant battle. Is Jesus truly our Lord? Are are, are we surrendering every part of our life to him? Not just the parts we agree with and those parts that are easy for us to obey. Are we surrendering the parts that are not easy to obey? Those areas where we don't want to do what he wants us to do. We don't want to tithe 10% of our income to him. We we, we don't want to stop sleeping with our girlfriend. We don't want, we don't want to love that person at work that is so hard to love. We don't want to forgive that person who hurt us. We, we don't want to humble ourselves and admit that we need counseling, we need help in our marriage. See, what would it look like in all of these areas if instead of automatically doing our own thing, what if we stopped and we asked Jesus what he wanted us to do? By looking at his word, by listening to his voice, and then we did what he said. What if we did what he said? What impact might that have? See, what what, what would a greater embracing of Jesus as Lord in our lives look like? What kind of an impact? That's a great question. And in fact, it's a question that Jesus answers for us in this passage. Look with me again at verse 46. But this time, we're going to read the rest of the passage. So let's read this out loud, the whole passage. Let's read it out loud together, okay? Words will go up on the screen. Here we go. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. But when a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house... It collapsed and its destruction was complete. This is God's word. I mean, this is such an important passage. If if, if we just focus on Jesus' initial question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? If we focus on that, we could easily end up in this place of of reluctant, guilt-ridden obedience. And a lot of people kind of have a Christian like that. You know, it's just reluctant, guilt-ridden obedience. But that's not what Jesus wants for us. It's not, which is, which is why Jesus, what Jesus wants us to understand here is that when we surrender to him, when we obey him as Lord, the impact in our lives is huge and it is good. The impact is huge and it is good. He uses a very vivid analogy to describe this. The person who comes to Jesus and hears his word and does what he says, that person is like a man building a house who digs down deep in order to lay the foundation of that house on rock. So when the flood came, the house stood firm. The the flood did not shake the house because it was well built. It had a strong, rock-solid foundation. That's what obedience to Jesus does in our lives. It lays a strong foundation. It brings stability so that when a flood hits, our lives aren't torn apart. We're able to stand strong and and continue to grow and mature. 
Now, now there's another word, very important Bible word, very important word in general to describe this. And Matthew's version of the same story, he uses this word. It's the word wisdom. See, some of you perhaps can sing the song, maybe from Sunday school years ago, right? The wise man built his house upon the rock, right? You know that song. See, obeying Jesus, saying yes to his lordship, that is the wisest thing that any of us can do. It's the wisest thing that any of us can do. Wisdom is so, wisdom is so It's something that is so desperately needed today. Man, I mean, so many times, and all of us do this, we we make decisions and choices based on our desires in the heat of the moment, what feels good, right? That desires in the heat of the moment rather than on Jesus' word. And often that uh, one unwise decision leads to more unwise decisions. And we end up in a mess that we can't extricate ourselves from. You know, that, that's when we go get help, right? Oh, man, here's, you know, I've made all these decisions. And then we want someone to kind of fix our problem. <laughs> and it's okay to ask for help and ask the Lord and all that. But the problem is we have made decision after decision after decision. And it's this, all these, comp, the, all these unwise decisions. And here's this mess. And there's no simple answer anymore. But it started with one unwise decision that led to many more. I mean, a classic example of this is King David in the Old Testament. One night, King David was kind of bored. He should have been doing stuff that kings do, right? But he wasn't. That was the first unwise decision. So while standing on his back porch, he saw this beautiful woman bathing, and he, he, uh, he, he wanted her, and so he arranged for her to come to his place. Second unwise decision. They had sex. Third unwise decision. She got pregnant. And in order to try and cover this up, fourth unwise decision, David orders her husband to come home. He was out on the battlefield where David should have been. Orders her husband to come home so that he, her husband, would sleep with her. Because David's thinking, then no one would know. It's David's kid, right? But the husband, who happened to be a loyal friend of David, he was one of his mighty men, he slept outside his home that night. He refused to sleep with his wife when his fellow soldiers were at war. So, when, so then David was really in a mess because he didn't sleep with his wife. David didn't know what to do. So then he ordered that her husband, again, one of his own mighty men, he ordered that her husband be sent to the front line and then everyone withdraw so that he would be killed in battle. Another very unwise decision. I've kind of lost count of decisions there. What a mess. What a tangled web that got weaved all because of a series of unwise, bad choices, disobedient choices that all felt right in the, in the heat of the moment. Now, David was forgiven by God. Yes, absolutely. But forgiveness doesn't remove the consequences. Forgiveness is wonderful, but it doesn't remove the consequences. That one initial decision by David led to huge amounts of pain, not only in David's life, and this is the way unwise decisions work, they impact other people's lives. It impacted Bathsheba, it impacted David's family, his children, it impacted the nation as a whole. It impacted the entire nation of Israel. 
See, this is exactly what Jesus is describing in this passage when he talks about the second builder who, rather than laying a foundation on rock, meaning he hears the word of Jesus and he obeys it, rather than doing that, he chose to build his house without a foundation. So when the flood came, his house collapsed, and Jesus adds, and its destruction was complete. He lost everything. See, the point Jesus is making is, is, is impossible to miss. Folks, we cannot miss this. Here's the point. Obedience to Jesus is a really good thing. Obedience to Jesus is a really good thing. I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm not saying that when we obey, everything will immediately be rosy. No, no, no. Obedience to Jesus may mean your boyfriend breaks up with you when he finds out you won't sleep with him. Obedience to Jesus may mean you lose your job when your boss finds out you're not going to do the unethical activity that he wants you to do. Obedience to Jesus may mean saying no to a party that your friends are all attending because you know what's going to be going on at that party. Obedience to Jesus may mean living within your means and not having all the toys and the square footage that your friends have. But here's the deal. In each one of those cases, your obedience lays a foundation for good things in the future. A foundation for good things in the future. A foundation for blessings and, and transformation. I mean, if, if a boy breaks up with you because you won't sleep with him, he's not the kind of man you want to marry. He's not the kind of guy you want to be the father of your children. He doesn't really love you. Saying yes to Jesus now is saving you a world of hurt in the long run. He doesn't know what love is. Losing your job, going back to some of these examples, losing your job, that would be hard. But imagine the positive impact on your children as they see your integrity on display, as they see your willingness to follow Jesus even when it's really hard. Imagine how your own faith will grow as you trust God for a new job. See, you're building a strong foundation. When your friends say no to, to, to you know, or when you say no to your friends for a party that they're going to be going to, you may lose some friends, you may take some heat, you may be teased, you may lose some friends and all that, but you are prote you're also protecting yourself from activities that could easily bring you into bondage and destroy your plans for the future. I mean, I think of the football players, the, the football players on the Minnesota football team who, who during a night of partying did some horrible, horrible things to another person. Their whole lives, their whole lives are going to be impacted by poor decisions made in an inebriated moment. I bet all of them now wish they hadn't gone to that party. And, and what about obedience to the Lord in the area of living within our means and not spending more than we make? That's, that's, that's hard. That's hard at times to live that way. But the end result is awesome. I mean, I remember talking with someone who in their marriage, they'd gotten into debt, you know, credit card debt and, and car loans, and it was negatively impacting their lives. Their marriage was stressed. They were always talking about money. They, they, you know, they struggled to make payments. They were always worrying about their finances. And they knew, they, they knew this wasn't the life God had for them. Well, one day they decided to do something about that. <clears throat> they took Financial Peace University, which 
So you heard in the video, it's a class we're starting here in, in a couple weeks. And in, in this class, they were challenged with practical ways to bring their finances under God's control. Things that were not easy. Making a budget and sticking to it. Intentionally going after cre- their credit card debt, their consumer debt. So for, sev- for several months, they didn't eat out. They didn't do movies out. <clears throat> they ate simply. They cut back on other expenditures. And they, they, they focused on paying off those debts. Their, their friends thought they were nuts. They thought they were nuts, but today they are completely out of debt except for their home. They're able to give more generously than ever. They don't have the stress and the worry about payments due. Their obedience to God, even when it was hard, resulted in a a strong foundation spiritually and financially, a strong foundation being laid. I mean, you can see it on their faces, the freedom and the joy that obedience to God has resulted in in their lives. See, obedience to Jesus is worth it. It's worth it. Surrendering to Jesus' lordship is a good thing to do. It establishes a solid foundation in your life. And my life, you know, when, when, when it comes to obeying Jesus, you'll be glad you did. You'll be glad you did. I mean, all of us here, can we just admit, all of us here, when we look back on our life, all of us can look back on decisions we've made in the past maybe in the heat of the moment where we ignored what we knew God wanted us to do and we have lived with the consequences of that. We have lived with the consequences of that. Now again, let me reiterate something. I'm not saying that God can't forgive those things. He can and he will when we ask him. And I'm not saying that because of those bad decisions, God can never use us again. You know, we messed up too badly. So God could never use us because of our sins in the past. We're sentenced to God's second best. I don't believe that. I don't believe scripture teaches that. Every person in the Bible, apart from Jesus, was kind of a mess in some area, okay? This is not about perfection. No, it's not about perfection. And it is not about our pet letting our past Define our future. That's what I'm talking about. Here's what this is about. It's all about today. It's all about today. What decisions are you and I making today that will impact our future for good or for ill? Every one of us has areas in our lives like this, in our lives, areas where we are choosing between Jesus' lordship and our own control. What are we going to do about that today? How you answer that question, how I answer that question, will have a huge impact upon our future. See, in this passage, I mean, Jesus is giving us an incredible gift when you think about it, right? The gift of spiritual binoculars. (laughs) That's what he's doing here. He's giving us the gift of spiritual binoculars to see what will be up ahead if we continue to pursue our own will rather than his. Now, while we can't see the details, we do know that it will be a foundationless house. We know that. It will be a foundationless house that will be very vulnerable to the storms of life. We know that. See, Jesus wants us to open our eyes and to see what's happening, to see where this is headed, and to choose his lordship, to choose obedience to him. You'll be glad you did. You'll be glad you did. Even when it's hard now, when it's hard now, one day you will be glad that you said yes to his lordship. Now I realize for some people, 
especially if you're kind of new to Christianity or you're exploring Jesus, maybe this church stuff is new to you. I realize for some people here, some of you here, this idea of lordship may be rubbing you the wrong way, you know? And I get that. The word lordship can be kind of intimidating, you know, it conjures up images of, of Darth Vader, you know, on Star Wars doing that invisible chokehold thing, you know, um, to force the obedience of his underlings. But that's not the kind of lordship Jesus is describing. That's not the kind of lord he is. What we see in the book of Luke as we progress through in the series, what we're going to see is that Jesus is unlike any lord we have ever seen or heard about or experienced. Jesus is not a Lord who lords it over us using fear and guilt to force our obedience to him. No, no, no. Jesus is a Lord of love. He is a loving Lord who for us, who for us was willing to lay down his life on the cross. <laughs> I mean, imagine that. People in power don't typically do those kinds of things. They don't voluntarily relinquish their power for the sake of love. But Jesus did. Jesus did. Whenever we struggle with surrendering to his lordship, oh, Jesus, I don't know, I don't want, this is what I want to do, I don't want to do what you want. Whenever we struggled with surrendering to his lordship, whenever we struggle to choose to obey him, it helps to stop and remember the kind of lord he is. He's a loving lord. He gave his life for you and me on the cross. He rose from the dead in order to give us new life, and he invites us to walk in newness of life, just united to his power in this incredible relationship with him. See, that's ultimately how this whole obedience thing works. It is ultimately about, it's, it's about relationship. It's not about rules. It's about relationship. It's about a love relationship with Jesus. And that's why Jesus says in John 14, 23, look at this verse. He says, anyone who loves me, will obey my teaching. See, passionate love for Jesus moves us to obey him. Which gets back to what we talked about last week, the importance of the heart. When Jesus' love fills our hearts, we want to obey him. We, we, it's not an ought to, it's a want to. We want to obey him. It's a privilege, it's a joy to obey a master like that. A master who loves us that much. It's a privilege to obey a Lord like that. It's all about love, folks. It is all about love. It's all about opening our hearts to the love of this incredible Lord and Savior, to his amazing love for us, and in response to that love, choosing to follow him, choosing to obey him as Lord. It'll make all the difference. It makes all the diff huge difference in our lives when we make that choice. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word that is so powerful. And even just the way, Jesus, you ask questions that expose, they cut through the fog and they expose what's really going on in our lives. This question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? So Holy Spirit, I want to ask you right now, as we are opening our heart to hear you ask that question, I pray 
you would bring to our mind any areas of our lives where we are not saying yes to your lordship or we're doing our own thing. We're going our own way. Where we're treating you as an advisor, maybe a consultant, but not as Lord. So Holy Spirit, bring to mind any area where we're not following you as Lord. And let's just wait on the Lord just to let him speak to us for a moment or two here. Now I want to encourage you in the quiet of your heart, just tell the Lord Jesus, God, in this area, in every area, I want to follow you as Lord. Forgive me for not doing so. And I pray that you would fill us now with your Holy Spirit. And you would give us the courage and the strength and the love to choose to follow you as Lord. Lord, you see our, see our hearts. We, we, we don't want to just be Facebook followers of you. We want to be followers of you. We actually want to follow you. And so I pray for each one of us here that you would help us do that. And I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for the foundations that are going to be laid beginning today because of obedience to you in relationships, in marriages, in finances, in at work, in every facet of our lives, the foundation that's going to be laid because of our obedience to you as Lord. And I pray, Lord, for the houses that are built, the lives that are built from this day on, Lord, that they would be strong, they would grow, so that when storms come, our faith would be solid, our commitment to you would be true and sure, and that no waves would be able to topple our lives. <laughs> because of our decisions, with your help, but our decisions to obey you as Lord. To hear your words and to put them into practice. And so I pray for that for each one of us. Now, there may be some of you here, and let me just do one other invitation. You can just keep your head bowed, but there may be some of you here, and in, in, in what you need to understand is that entering into a relationship with Jesus, ultimately, initially, this, this is about admitting your need and placing your trust in him. It's not about doing good deeds. It's not about trying to be a good person. It's about receiving Jesus as savior. That's why he died on the cross to pay for our sin. And so the way into this relationship is by placing our trust in Jesus. It's like receiving a gift. You don't have to work for it. You just have to receive it. And there may be some of you here and you're like, that's what I need. I want to receive the gift of Jesus life so that he can come and live in me and help me to live the way he wants me to live. And so there may be some of you here and you know that's you. 
You want Jesus living in your heart. You want your sins forgiven. Well, if that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer right now where you can place your trust in him and enter into this relationship with him. So pray along with me in the silence of your heart if this is your desire. Dear God, I, I acknowledge that you are holy. You are perfect. You are whole, and I'm not. I've done my own thing. I've gone my own way. And I realize that my sin, my rebellion, my self-centeredness separates me from you. You're holy, and I'm not. It separates me from you. And there's nothing I can do to get to you. You're holy, and I can't work hard enough. I can't do enough good deeds to get to you. But you came to me. You sent your son, Jesus, to live a perfect life and then to die on a cross for my sin. Jesus, you gave your life for me. You paid the penalty I should have paid. Thank you for doing that. And I choose to place my trust in you. I bring you my faults and my failures and my doubts and questions and sins. I just bring it all to you. I place it on your shoulders. And now in exchange, I receive your life and your forgiveness. I receive your spirit to come live in me, changing me from the inside out through the power of your love. I pray for that. God, I want to pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Help them grow in this relationship with you to be transformed by you through the power of your love. And I pray that for all of us. We would be transformed by love by your love, a passionate love, and we would choose, we would choose to follow you more and more. Thank you, God. Thank you for doing that work in us and what you're going to be doing in us. Okay, why don't we stand? We get a, we, now we get the chance to respond for the next 15 minutes or so just to respond to this amazing Lord Jesus. So why don't you stand? If you want to sit in at some point, that's totally cool. But Jesus set us free to worship you. Thank you, Lord.